Hey everyone, before we start the episode, I wanted to share some exciting news. We have a YouTube channel now. We started posting our episodes with some cool images and videos, so you should definitely go check it out. You can find us at On Wildlife Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome to On Wildlife. I'm your host, Alex Ray. On this podcast, we bring the wild to you. We take you on a journey into the life of a different animal every week, and I guarantee you you're going to come out of here knowing more about your favorite animal than you did before. This week, we're talking about a kind of mystical animal that has inspired stories of legendary creatures for thousands of years, and they have a feature that really sticks out and makes them extremely recognizable. So make sure you've got some extra layers on, because we're taking a deep dive into the Arctic waters to talk about narwhals. Narwhals are small, toothed whales that are found in freezing cold bodies of water. Their scientific name is Monodon monoceros. Some people also call them narwhals. Narwhals live in the waters around Canada, Greenland, Norway, and Russia, and will spend the winter under the ice for about five months. But because they're mammals, they need to breathe air. And luckily for them, the ice between Canada and Greenland has enough cracks for them to find air after they dive for food. The narwhal's closest relative is the beluga whale, which also lives in freezing Arctic waters. Narwhals are the only living species of the Monodontidae family, also called the white whales. And if you take apart the word Monodontidae, you could see where they got their name. Mono means one, and dont comes from the word tooth. And you may already know where this is going. The most identifiable feature of a narwhal is the huge tusk-looking thing that sticks out of their head. The tusk is actually a large tooth, and it can grow to almost 10 feet in length, and it grows in kind of a spiral shape. They actually have two teeth, but only one of the teeth will develop into a tusk for the males. The teeth that don't become tusks become vestigial, which means that even though the organism has them, they don't serve any purpose, kind of like our appendix. On rare occasions, two tusks could develop in one individual, making them a double tusker, and this happens completely randomly. The likelihood of a narwhal growing two tusks is one in 500 males. In medieval times, people thought that narwhals were unicorns because of the tusk, but what is it used for? There are a lot of predictions that scientists have made about this. One of the most commonly accepted hypotheses about their tusks is that they're there for hunting fish and detecting salinity levels or saltiness of the water around them. But Charles Darwin thought that they were used for fighting other males in mating competitions. Research shows that there are around 10 million nerve endings in the tusks, and the outside of the tusk is softer and porous, which is what allows them to sense changes in the salinity and temperature of the water that they're in. And as you go further inside the tusk, it gets denser and harder. This is different from our teeth, which are harder on the outside. 
So to combat the cold arctic waters, which are usually a little bit below freezing, narwhals are equipped with 4 inches of blubber, and the blubber kind of acts like a winter coat for them. Male narwhals can weigh up to 3,500 pounds, and females can weigh up to 2,200 pounds. And they can range anywhere from 11.5 to 16.5 feet long. Some individuals have been seen to grow up to 4,500 pounds and 18 feet in length. Aside from the fact that males are heavier than females, the most noticeable difference between them are their tusks. Females don't actually have a tusk, and males do. This kind of gives more of a reason to believe that the tusks are used between competing males. The coloration of narwhals' bodies is darker above and lighter on the underside of their body. This color pattern is known as countershading, and you can see it in many marine species like penguins, blue sharks, herrings, and even killer whales. Countershading helps to camouflage an animal from predators or prey because they match the ocean floor when viewed from above, and they look like the bright sky when viewed from below. Young narwhals are born very dark, and as they mature, their body becomes more spotted. They grow lighter as they age, and the oldest narwhals will appear bright white. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk about what narwhals eat. that I want to recognize on this week's episode of Notable Figures in Science is Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is currently an American physicist and someone you may have heard of. After getting a master's degree from the University of Texas, he earned his doctorate in astrophysics at Columbia University. He became interested in astronomy when he visited the Hayden Planetarium, and in 1996, he became the director of the same planetarium. He has written multiple books that make complicated topics in astrophysics more understandable to everyday people. He has also been in countless TV shows where he helps explain information regarding space, planets, and just the universe overall. I believe that he's making a positive impact in the scientific community by making it more accessible to everyone and encouraging the younger generation to follow careers in science. If you want to learn more about Dr. Tyson or this series in general, check out onwildlife.org. Okay, welcome back. So, narwhals are exclusively carnivorous, and they eat a variety of different foods. They can eat different fish species like halibut and cod, but they'll also eat squid and shrimp. Their hunting grounds are near the edge of the ice flows in the winter and the ice-free water in the summer. Narwhals are the only toothed whale that don't really have teeth besides that big tusk. And it's believed that narwhals eat by using a strong suction force to inhale their prey. And they'll go to great lengths to catch their prey, literally. They will dive down to depths of 4,000 to 5,000 feet for times of up to 30 minutes in order to find their prey before they have to surface again for air. These dives make them some of the deepest diving marine mammals behind elephant seals and other species of whales. Now, even though narwhals eat a lot of different types of animals, 
they're not exactly at the top of the food chain. Their main predators are killer whales, polar bears, and even walruses, which will hunt narwhals if they get trapped in the ice. The fact that walruses will eat them is pretty surprising because their main diet really consists of small fish. Killer whales are one of the most likely animals to get a hold of a narwhal, but narwhals do have an advantage over them. Unlike some species of whale, they don't have a dorsal fin, and this makes it a lot easier to navigate in parts of the ocean that have a lot of ice. And they use this ice as refuge from killer whales because their dorsal fins make it extremely hard to navigate where there's a layer of ice floating on top of the water. Narwhals are also hunted by the Inuit people. They can be hunted for their meat as their skin is filled with vitamin C. But they're also hunted for their tusks, which are made of ivory. This vitamin C is extremely important because it's lacking in most other foods in the Arctic. And historically, the tusk has been considered a medical cure-all as many other animal parts continue to be. In the Middle Ages, the tusk was said to cure epilepsy, make the heart stronger, and cure poisons. Another danger to narwhals is the expansion of pack ice as the weather gets colder. Narwhals can swim into the water before it freezes, but as it gets colder, herds of narwhals can be trapped in pools of open water as the ice closes in on them. The term for entrapment in the ice is called a savsat, and the worst savsat event took place in the winter of 1914 to 1915, resulting in the death of over 1,000 narwhals. Narwhals are polygynous, which means that the males will mate with multiple females in any given mating season. Males will find a mate in the spring as they spend time courting females and fighting other males. After narwhals breed, they have a gestation period of 14 to 15 months. Females give birth to a single calf at one time, and the calves are usually 5 feet long at birth. Calves are born in deep bays or inlets, and they're nursed with fatty, nutrient-rich milk that comes from their mother. Calves like to stay near their mothers until they're weaned, which takes about 2 years. And male calves don't grow their tusks out until they're weaned. Only about 15% of females will actually grow tusks, and most narwhals live between 25 and 50 years old, but the oldest narwhals can live to be 90 to 100 years old. Narwhals form groups of up to 15 to 20 individuals, and their groups are either called a blessing or a pod like other groups of whales. The smaller pods of narwhals are usually separated by age and sex, with groups of only females, young bachelor pods, and pods comprised solely of bull narwhals. Males have been observed crossing their tusks with each other, and this is thought to be a way for them to determine the social hierarchy of the bulls in the group. Some narwhals have been found with broken tusks, which may show that they were lost during fights for mates. But how do they communicate with each other? Well, they're extremely vocal, just like dolphins. They can make squeak or clicking noises while they're swimming. And they even use echolocation to find their food, just like their relatives. As of right now, not much is known about what certain noises mean. But researchers believe that they're similar to the noises that other groups of whales use to convey important information. The pods migrate along different paths and with different sized groups of individuals depending on the season. In the warmer months of late spring and summer, they'll move towards coastal waters and usually follow the distribution of ice.
In the fall and winter months, they'll move away from the coast to stop themselves from getting trapped in the ice. Okay, we're going to take our last break, and when we get back, I'll talk about some of the legends surrounding these animals. It's time for a trivia question. What animal is the most trafficked species in the world? A. Bats B. Pangolins C. Armadillos or D. Turtles The answer is B. Pangolins are the most trafficked animal species in the world. Okay, welcome back. So there are plenty of stories about narwhals from the indigenous people of the Arctic. One story explains the origin of the narwhal's tusk. It's believed that the tusk was created when a female hunter met her demise. She had long braided hair and was pulled into the water by a narwhal she harpooned. When she fell into the water, she was turned into a narwhal and her braid became her tusk. There was another story that mentions the origin of the narwhal. It explains how a boy pushed his mother into the water while hunting for whales because she mistreated him. After falling in the water, she surfaced and transformed into a narwhal. Old depictions of narwhals showed fish with the heads of unicorns, and they inspired a change in the way unicorns were depicted by storytellers. Prior to the discovery of the narwhal's spiraling horn, Unicorns were drawn as strange amalgamations of lions, goats, and deer. This only changed after narwhal horns were brought into European markets, and they were believed to be from unicorns. Narwhals play a pivotal role in the ecosystems of the Arctic. They're near the top of the food chain, which means that they oversee the health of the Arctic marine environment. They eat so many organisms that, if they were to become overpopulated, could wreak havoc on an ecosystem. And as I mentioned earlier, they're also extremely important to the indigenous communities of the Arctic. From their tusk, to their skin, to the stories told about them, narwhals are a culturally important species. Just like other Arctic species, the narwhal is dependent on the growth and recession of sea ice for its existence. This makes it extremely susceptible to climate change. As there becomes less and less ice, narwhals could find that there are fewer places to hide from their main predator, orcas. While narwhals have a steady population, they could become endangered if hunting, entrapment, and pollution continue to deplete their numbers. Luckily, laws have been passed that make it illegal to import narwhal tusks. One huge issue that they're facing right now is noise pollution, usually made by ships, especially ones that have a radar system. Since they rely on audio cues to make their way through the Arctic, the increase in ocean noise poses a serious threat to their safety. With more noise pollution, they won't be able to find food and mates as easily or avoid predators. Throughout history, zoos have also tried to keep narwhals in captivity, but none have lasted for more than a few months. 
This is one of those species that's unable to be properly taken care of by humans, just like great white sharks. And while we shouldn't keep any animals in cages or tanks, there are some animals that just aren't able to live out of the wild. Narwhals are listed as least concern by the IUCN Red List, with a population of somewhere between 50,000 and 70,000 individuals. But marine habitats are in danger right now. So here are some organizations that you should take a look at that are trying to help these ecosystems recover. You can check out Save the Whales, Oceans North, and Ocean Care. Thank you so much for coming on this adventure with me as we explored the world of narwhals. You can find the sources that we used for this podcast and links to organizations that we reference at onwildlife.org. You can also email us at onwildlife.podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at on underscore wildlife or on TikTok at onwildlife. Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday for another awesome episode. And that's On Wildlife. You've been listening to On Wildlife with Alex Ray. On Wildlife provides general educational information on various topics as a public service, which should not be construed as professional, financial, real estate, tax, or legal advice. These are our personal opinions only. Please refer to our full disclaimer policy on our website for full details. Thank you.